Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord give you his peace. Amen. There's an old saying amongst linguists, included amongst them would be scripture scholars. And the saying is this, that the translator is a traitor. The translator is a traitor. What does it mean that the translator is a traitor? It means that in translating, sometimes you have to make choices. And in translating, sometimes things don't always translate so easily from one idiom to another or one language to another. So that you have to take liberties, you have to trade or be a traitor to the original word in order to convey the idea that's being submitted through the text. Any of you that know multiple languages may know that you can't always translate something directly from one language to another. It just doesn't always make sense. In fact, I know many Italian sayings that if you say them in Italian, they make perfect sense. But if you say it in English, you're like, what does that mean? Our Italian part of the congregation will certainly relate with what I'm talking about. But let me give you a couple of examples. Certainly, we are all familiar with the word amen. Amen. It's one of those words that's in Scripture, it's in our prayers. We use it very much as if it were an English word. But it actually is an Aramaic word, as you probably have learned in your CCD way back when, or more recently, if you're younger and watching. But amen means we sometimes say, I believe, yes. I've heard various different renditions of what it actually means. But the richness of the meaning is such that when they translated all the words from one language to another, they said, you know what, we can't even get this word across in another language because it means more than just saying yes or I believe. It's an actual submission of the will and the intellect to the idea at hand. So when we say amen, it actually means a lot more than just saying I believe. It's I believe it, I live it, it's part of me, it's who I am, it's what I hold to, it's what I would die for. It's a very strong word with much implication but we don't always get that rich meaning in when we say the word amen. Another example of how a translator betrays or is a traitor is sometimes the idea can't actually be easily expressed in words other than symbolic words or words that sometimes make sense to, 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 to behold but don't actually pan out in reality. Let me give you an example of that. So for example, we speak every morning that the sun rose right? Well, does that really betray the scientific reality of what happens every morning? No, because if we were to try and say, well, the earth rotated for 24 hours and the appearance of the sky was such that the sun looked like it wrote, it would take a paragraph to kind of get the idea across. So we simply accept the idea that the sun rose because to our appearances, the sun rose, right? So, um, but the translator is a traitor in many respects. Now, there's another word that I want to focus on very briefly, that if we don't think of any other word when we think of Pentecost, uh, uh, Palm Sunday, we think of this particular word, and that word is Hosanna. Hosanna. Did you ever contemplate what the meaning of Hosanna is? Those of you who were here last year or the year before, or maybe the year before that, you might have heard me share this, but let me refresh your memory, that Hosanna is a word that means save us now. But it's more than that, because they could have translated it to save us now, or save us in this moment. But it, it packs a punch to that word, Hosanna. There's not a word that's quite like it. 
It is filled with urgency. It's the urgency of that woman who finds out that she has COVID-19 from her doctor and she has COPD and many underlying issues. And she's like, oh my God, I have COVID. God, help me. Hosanna, Hosanna. I need your help and I don't need it 10 minutes from now. I need it now. It's urgency, urgency, urgency. Now the late great man of notability, the Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, had a famous line in his I Have a Dream speech. We always know the I Have a Dream, I Have a Dream. We know the part about judge the content of a man by the, uh, by the content of his character and not the color of his skin. We know those famous lines. But this one might not be as kind of ready to our memory. But he said these words in that very same speech. He says, it would be fatal for a nation to fail to recognize the urgency of the moment. The urgency of the moment. I think I could take liberties with the thoughts of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and say that he would say it's not just fatal for the nation but the world to fail to recognize the urgency of the moment. What is the urgency of the moment that we experience in this month of April 2020. I'm still living last year. There's a lot that's happened. It's gone by so quickly. It is a very urgent time that we live in. We live in a time of plague, virus, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. But what does it mean? Does it have anything greater in terms of meaning than just the fact that it's a disease? We know that in the scriptures, often disease was a corollary for sin, right? It wasn't just a physical reality or malady. It was something that was a spiritual reality, a spiritual malady, right? And I think that's the urgency of this moment. Now, I mentioned a moment ago someone who's very notable in human history, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. But let me contemplate now for a moment somebody a bit more notorious, because you can have notable people in history and you can have notorious people in history. Who are some of the people that we think of that are notorious? Right? Well, if I were to ask you a very pointed question, who is the most notorious person in all of human history, who might that person be? Now, kind of coming to our minds very quickly, it might be someone like Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao, any of those great dictators, not so great dictators of the 20th century. Uh, we can think of the evil emperors like Nero or Diocletian or, uh, you know, some other... Uh, person in uh, Attila the Hun, you know, all these notorious people in human history. But who is the most notorious out of all people in all of human history? I would have to submit that in my humble estimation, you might disagree with me, but I would have to submit in my humble estimation that the most notorious person in all of human history was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. The man who we heard in the gospel today said, I'm going to walk over to this man who I've been following for a better part of three years of my life. He's my friend. I'm going to kiss him, show him a sign of affection. And that's the man you are to arrest. It was with a kiss that the Son of Man was betrayed. 
and taken off. Now, I don't know what ultimately happened to Judas. We know that he went and hanged himself. He despaired of God's forgiveness. We don't even know exactly what he was hoping. I mean, some speculate that he was hoping that he could force the hand of the Lord to manifest himself as a great um, warrior king kind of figure, that he wouldn't allow himself to be crucified. Because it says clearly in the scriptures that when he saw Jesus was condemned, he repented and he regretted and he wanted to get him back, but it was too late. Yet he despaired. So we don't know if the fact of Jesus' words, it would be better for that man never to be born or because he despaired or because he handed him over in the first place. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that had he turned back to Jesus, seeking repentance, seeking sorrow, seeking rekindling the friendship between them, just like Peter, who also betrayed Jesus in his own way, and all those who fled, that that same opportunity of conversion would have been available to Judas, the most notorious person in all of human history, because he betrayed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But now the real pointed question, the real pointed question is this. Have you ever betrayed Jesus Christ? Have you ever committed a sin? Do you say your prayers at night? Do you go to Mass? Do you do the things that show affection to God, that show friendship with God, but yet have you betrayed Him? in some way by your sin. So there's a little Judas in all of us. It's a horrible thing to contemplate. But hopefully, there's not a lot of Judas in all of us. Because the problem with Judas, again, was not so much that he despaired, but that he didn't turn back to the Lord and seek forgiveness. And that kind of desperation led him into the darkness of suicide, self-annihilation. And we entrust him to the mercy of God. We don't know what happened to him. But maybe beyond the little Judas that's in us, maybe there's a little Peter in us as well. Where we want to do better, we think we can do better, but we don't always rely on the real grace of God in our lives to help us to do better. You see, Peter was relying on his own strength I will die, even if everybody else runs away from you, Lord. I will die with you. But he was a weakling. He couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. Not without the help of God's grace. He wanted to. His heart was in the right place. He didn't mean to betray the Lord. But his great weakness incapacitated him from doing the right things in that moment of trial that moment of being faced with possibly his own death. Now we know the rest of the story with Peter, don't we? That by the end of his life, he welcomed first the graces of Pentecost and even before that, the graces of recommitting himself. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you three times. And he ultimately went and died upside down on a cross because he didn't consider himself worthy to die the very same death as our Lord. A much humbler Peter. Humbler because he realized through his weakness, through his failures, that he needed God's grace. 
And that, dear brothers and sisters, is the urgency of this moment in human history. That we, Father Man, Father Pham, Deacon Al, you, your family, our world at large, we all stand in desperate need of God's saving grace. So this moment of doom upon our human history can be a moment of new decision upon each and every one of us. It could be a moment to say, you know what? This sickness reminds me of how the Jewish people were in Scripture. What happened when the Jews became unfaithful to the Lord? They were sent into exile. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but it feels like I'm in exile. All of you are out there. I'm here. We're separated. We can't get together. We're disconnected. We're only connected virtually, thanks be to God, through technology. We can't even go to the store readily. We can't go to the park and play baseball, softball. Sorry, Father Pham. We can't do any of the things that we so easily take for granted. We're in exile. And what was the point of exile for the Jewish people? It was conversion. I am convinced that that word Hosanna was born out of the experience of exile, a feeling cut off from God, a feeling like it's all doom and despair, condemnation, and it's going to collapse. But the urgency of this moment is that conversion and decision to follow Jesus more deeply as a human family, as an individual, can happen. It would be fatal, not just for a nation or a world, to fail to recognize the urgency of the moment. It's fatal for each of us, just like it was for Judas, if we fail to recognize the urgency of this moment in human history. May the Lord be praised now and forever. little homework assignment. You get a chance to Google after this Mass the 14 holy helpers. They can be powerful intercessors in this time of exile. 14 holy helpers.